welcome, welcome to the Hokey Hangover Podcast. My name is Andrew Alex. I am joined by the full crew today. First, in the 757, back from Blacksburg for the final game of the year, we have Ricky LeBlue. Ricky, what's going on? Uh, chilly here in Virginia Beach, uh, but I know it's a lot colder where you're at. Uh, but very, very thankful that I was able to go to uh, Virginia Tech for the final home game of the year. Uh, this was the first year I'd been to a game in about three years, so very thankful that I was able to go and thankful that uh, the experience was not excruciatingly painful, uh, which I didn't expect, but we all know was possible. Mike McDaniel did not attend the game this weekend. I did see his wife and his sister. Mike, I guess the the two Kates are much more committed to this than you are, huh? I stayed home and played golf instead. Look what happened to cut it, Mike. We leave him home and we pick up a victory. Virginia Tech, impressive in many regards. Duke, we knew they weren't good coming in, but Virginia Tech didn't look particularly good against Boston College the week prior. It felt like this was a game that Duke could win, but not the case. Rarely competitive, a 48-17 to victory for the Hokies. We're going to talk about it, but first, we got to thank our friends over at Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg is the healthcare provider you want to go to if you want a pharmacy that truly cares about you. Be a neighbor, not a number. Look no further than Main Street Pharmacy. Dr. Jeremy Counts and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. All right, Ricky, I'm going to start with you. I think the question that everyone in Virginia Tech world is asking, did Justin Fuente earn himself a contract extension after that win against Duke? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I, anyone asking that, I, I understand your, your uh, thought process, but no, uh, Justin Fuente did not earn a contract extension this game. I will give the coaching staff credit for having their guys prepared to play. Um, Obviously, Duke is a, a lot worse of an opponent than almost everything they've seen all year. Duke is Duke is unbelievably bad. Um, to be a Power 5 program, they, they are easily one of the worst Power 5 programs in football. They're probably one of the worst FBS programs in football. Virginia Tech took full advantage of that. And that was my, my column after the game, which is available on DullesDistrict.com, shameless plug. Uh, Virginia Tech did on Saturday what they're supposed to be doing to these kinds of teams, and they haven't done it very very much in the past, what, three or so years. And that's absolutely just blow the doors off of somebody and embarrass them on the field. That's what Virginia Tech should be doing to, to teams like this, teams that are severely lacking in the talent and coaching department and duke is clearly in that group um we've seen virginia tech play down to their competition too many times and they didn't in this game uh tech got off to a bit of a slow start on offense but the defense played exceptionally well for just about the entire game they obviously mailed it in a bit in the fourth quarter when the game was out of reach and that I'm not really going to judge them on that uh but the offense was pretty consistent for the most part uh, Braxton Burmeister, tough as nails. There is, he is the toughest dude on the team. I believe, um, he is 
continuing to come out and I respect the hell out of the kid for it. He actually had some really nice throws in this game and that was an encouraging sight. Some people thought that the throw to Keyshawn King for the touchdown wasn't very good. I thought it was excellent. Uh, sure. He could have maybe led him a bit, but to fit that throw over two defenders and to put it in the catch radius is a, is about as good as you're going to get out of Braxton Burmeister. So to answer your question again, going back to that, no, Virginia tech will not be extending Justin Fuente after this. Um, Obviously, every game that Tech wins, it's easier for Justin to claim that he's building momentum within his program. But beating a team that hasn't won a game yet in the conference and is clearly one of the worst teams in FBS, um, that's not going to get it done. Now, if, if Tech plays well in these next two games, which is possible, considering Miami uh, looked like they were on a hot streak and just lost last week to Florida State, uh, Virginia is always a toss up game. Who knows what's going to happen here? But for me, the most important factor in this was that all of those players who have been through hell and back this year, a lot of them are seniors. It was, it was nice to see them actually have a win that they could enjoy. And, um, to me, that was the, the biggest takeaway from this. It was cool. It was cool. I mean, <laughs> I, <laughs> wow, that's I incredible mean, insight, Mike. Well, I mean, look, we've watched Virginia Tech have a few uninspiring performances this year against teams that they should beat, right? I mean, Middle Tennessee State, Richmond, Syracuse, Boston College. The list goes on and on. Um, this was great. I mean, Virginia Tech hasn't had a blowout win like this in a really long time, Ricky, to your point. This is from Pete BVT. Uh, Virginia Tech had 9.7 yards per play on Saturday. That's the highest average for a single game in more than 13 years for the Hokies. I mean, the offense was awesome. And yes, it was Duke. I saw that a lot, right? Like on, on social media after the game, it's like, yeah, great that they did that, but it was Duke. Like, yeah, great that they did that, but it was Duke. I get it, but they weren't doing this against Richmond. They didn't do it against Middle Tennessee. They didn't do it against Syracuse. Didn't do it against BC. Let's be happy with something for once, okay? Take the wins when you can get them. Let's be happy for once, everybody. Like, let's – we can we can be happy about a singular performance in a single game and still not be happy with the overall product, right? Those two things can exist in the same – in the same atmosphere, right? Like, in the same universe. Like, let's we – can, we can do that. That's possible. I think that the argument there would be like, it's Duke and this should be the standard. Right. Correct. And Correct. I agree and with I, that. And I would agree, agree with that. With that agree point. with that. And agree. I would but, agree with that. It's just that tech hasn't been meeting that standard. Yeah. So I think it's a good thing to celebrate and acknowledge that they finally did it. Right. And it, it, basically it's not mutually exclusive. You can, you right. can hold them accountable to that standard, but also recognize that hey, they actually did it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Resetting the standard to where it should be starts with actually accomplishing that once or twice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> doing it, doing it in a game where, like, to be honest, nobody expected them to do it, even though it was Duke. And, you know, Ricky and I, when we were previewing this game, I picked Tech to cover. And I kind of chuckled and Ricky outright laughed that I did yeah. that. But I said, like, 26 to 13. I was not expecting 48-17, win by 31 points, put up like a billion yards of offense and nearly touched 50. I mean, we hadn't seen, after what we just saw at BC last week, and I get Burmeister was back and everything, but after what we just saw, are you kidding me? Uh, that's That was not, not an expected performance. And I think at some point you do have to 
give credit to the players for, for pulling through and putting together a performance like that, especially when Tech hadn't done that against inferior competition. And Andrew, to your point, reset the standard, right? That is what it should be, but it hadn't been accomplished this year. And Tech hadn't been doing it really over the last couple of years. So to have a win like this, it was nice to see, especially for the seniors on senior day. Yeah, I mean, after Richmond and Middle Tennessee State, though, Mike, I think the line that Fonte threw out, and I might be paraphrasing, this might not be a direct quote, but it was something along the lines of, we're not a team that's built to blow our opponents out. That's right. And what we saw on Saturday afternoon and into the evening was that they're clearly capable of that. And yeah, I know that against a better competition, that's not necessarily going to happen, but you know, would Duke be able to beat Richmond or middle Tennessee? At least maybe, maybe, I mean, they would be favored, but not by much. Right. Like Duke is Duke is, is painfully bad. Like it was it, watching all of the wide open receivers in coverage was just kind of embarrassing to watch that an FBS team, a power five team for that matter was having so many coverage breakdowns. I mean, it was, it was left and right. And you, you got the sense early on that Virginia tech did not respect Duke's defense because they went vertical two on their first three plays. Yeah. And, and I asked, I asked that question after the game and, and Knox Kadem who, filled in for Burmeister in the post-game presser said that, yeah, we felt like that was something that we could take advantage of. And they did the first throw obviously didn't connect, but it was really close. Uh, The second uh, throw, which came on third down was right there. And we actually saw Virginia tech taking shots downfield throughout the game. And it was, it, it was nice to see Virginia tech taking advantage of mistakes that are made on the back end. Too many times we've seen the Hokies play scared on offense and play way too conservative. But in this game, it felt like Cornelson was was Sacked taking up. advantage of those matchups on the outside. And uh, you know, he he had really good looks, which is which is fantastic, but he was giving his players chances to make plays. Right. And to me, that was the the biggest takeaway from this game was that Virginia Tech's offense for the first time I felt like all year looked in very, very balanced. They didn't rely so heavily on the run that that was the only way they were moving the football. Now let's not, you know, let's not act like this is something that it wasn't Braxton Burmeister didn't have an incredible day. I mean, he only had nine completions and he did throw an interception, but he did throw three touchdowns and he did throw a 200 for 215 yards. And that's certainly worth it. Knox Kadem had 61 yards on just two completions. So the Hokies were completing those those passes downfield, and we just haven't seen that all year. And it sucks that it, we're finally seeing it in, you know, mid-November, right, when there's two games left. But if if the Hokies can some way keep this going for two weeks, that gives them a much better chance of beating both of the teams left on the schedule. Who I'm, Miami, I don't know how much they're going to have to play for. Their AD is out now that we just broke breaking news tonight that we found out. Um, and Virginia, obviously, is just going to be a, a, a slugfest. But Virginia Tech needs to find a way to build on this, even though that they're going to be facing tougher competition um, for the rest of the year. Now, r- real quick note, UVA's defense, not good. So no, UVA's defense will be the closest thing that they'll see to Duke probably all season. But – 
what they do against Miami, I think, will be a telltale sign if they're able to find any semblance of consistency through the air. Before we move on to the next point, I just have one one last thing to make, just kind of piggyback off the point you made, Ricky, about just kind of the, the aggression on offense. We saw explosive plays on Saturday consistently. Virginia Tech has been an offense that hasn't been able to create explosive plays. Raheem Blackshear had a 40-yard run. Keyshawn King had a 49-yard run. Tavion Robinson, 41-yard reception. Keyshawn King, 47-yard reception on that wheel route for the touchdown. So Virginia Tech was able to make explosive plays offensively, something they haven't done consistently all year. We've seen it here and there, maybe one play a game, but we haven't seen a consistently like explosive offense. And yes, it was very balanced. And that was my takeaway too. The offense is really balanced. You could take more shots down the field. Yes, they did not respect Duke's defense at all. And they shouldn't have because Duke's defense was really bad coming into yep. this game. And we acknowledged on the preview, this was a really good matchup for Virginia Tech. They were able to get the ball rolling offensively on the ground, which they did. They had 41 carries for 297 yards in this football game. They ran all over Duke. So what bothers me is, why didn't we see that against Richmond and Mill, Tennessee State, right? My, my takeaway after the game wasn't, oh, yeah, it was Duke. They should do that. It was, yeah, I agree with that. But, like, why didn't we see that early in the year, too? Because we're seeing guys now banged up, right, later in the year, banged up making these plays. Where was this aggression early in the year? Where was this aggression against tougher competition? Like, why are we just seeing this now? So why can't we play like this every week? That's a coaching thing and a larger question that we have about the coaching staff. Why haven't we seen this kind of performance on a more consistent basis? Not necessarily scoring 48 points and, you know, putting up 9.7 yards per play. Like, that would be great to do every week. But, you know, we simply haven't been doing that. It's just a matter of seeing this more than, like, one play a game, right? And seeing this for a more on a more consistent basis on Saturday was really nice to see. So I got a couple of questions about the running game and the offense here. Uh, first of all, Raheem Blackshear, probably his best game in his Hokie career. He looked like the player that we thought he would be coming out of Rutgers. Now, over 150 total yards. Like you just mentioned, Keyshawn King gets involved as well. Uh, kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, he's really been a non-factor since game number one when he had that fumble against North Carolina and Outside of special teams, you don't hear the name very often. Right. Malachi Thomas struggled under two yards per carry. He was limited to seven on the day. And Jalen Holston on a blowout senior day doesn't get a single carry. So I guess number one, where did the usage of King come from? Number two, Thomas not getting the lion's share of the carries. What's going on? Number three, could we postulate any reason why Jalen Holston wouldn't get a single carry in a blowout on senior day? after all the time he's been in this program. Ricky, I would love to take on these three questions. Let yep. me start with the third one. Let me, mute, is... let, me, let me mute my microphone too to fully allow you to have the floor. Because <laughs> this one has actually been bothering me for the entire year. Ever since Jalen Holston, Mike's got his feet up on the table. Ever since Jalen Holston got benched for Malachi Thomas, he has been tweeting not so subtly about his usage on the field, the coaching staff not knowing what they're doing, and it's every game, like clockwork. Give him like 30 minutes after after the game's over. He's in the locker room. He's scrolling through Twitter. Boom, he's retweeting stuff, complaining about his usage on Twitter. Jalen, I'm sure you're a great kid, and I wish you nothing but the best in the future, but um, I would encourage you to not do that, <laughs> and I would encourage you to try and focus on earning your way back into the rotation and not just on kick returns um, because, quite honestly, Coaches don't need to put up with your with your nonsense when you're not producing. 
we'll start then after that with the Malachi Thomas issue. Justin Fuente said on in his uh, press conference today that Malachi was banged up apparently in the game. It must not have been serious because he was in uniform um, the entirety of the night. But that probably is the reason Keyshawn King, who, look, if you're Jalen Holston and you get left by Keyshawn King on the depth chart, that's on you, dog, because Keyshawn King has done everything in his power to get buried in the depth chart in terms of not holding on to the football. But Keyshawn King took advantage of these opportunities and ran with it. And I, I applaud uh, Justin Fuente for rolling with him and giving him those opportunities when he figured out that King had a rhythm going. We, too many times in the past we've seen Virginia Tech shy away from backs who are starting to get hot. We've seen it when Jalen Holson has done it in previous years. We saw it a lot with Trayvon McMillan and Deshaun McLeese. Um, we saw it a little bit with Khalil Herbert. But this year, it, it feels like the, the, the running back rotation has been much, um, much more responsive to how the players are actually playing on the football field. And that's why Malachi Thomas has been getting so many carries over the last few weeks because he's been producing. And had he not gotten banged up in this game, I would have expected Malachi to continue to get carries even though I felt like they were they were not using him effectively. Um, but for me, th- this is all about Raheem Blackshear and Virginia Tech's inability to use him effectively for most of his career in Blacksburg. Um, Blackshear is a, is a specific kind of player. He's more of an offensive weapon type guy, not just a running back, not just a wide receiver. And in this game, it actually felt like Virginia Tech was getting him the ball in space, getting him on the perimeter, allowing him to catch the ball in space and make plays after the catch. That's the kind of player that Raheem Blackshear is. And if you put him in position to succeed, he's going to do it. Every time he's given these opportunities, Raheem Blackshear produces. And I'm hoping that they continue to do this for the next two games of the year because they're going to need it. I mean, Trey Turner held to one catch in this game. Tavion Robinson had a decent game, but those receivers aren't really going to scare a lot of folks for the rest of the year. You've got to rely on the, on the cadre of running backs that you have. And if you feel comfortable about Malachi Thomas and Keyshawn King starting to figure things out and you've got Raheem Blackshear as well, those need to be three focal points of the offense, especially since you had at least, you know, historically relative to the season, you've had issues pushing the ball downfield get the ball in the hands of your playmakers and let them go make plays. And that's exactly what it felt like Virginia tech did in this game against Duke. Mike on the other side here, I, I obviously opened with the kind of sarcastic question to Ricky about a Fuente contract extension, but <laughs> is there any, chance- well, you know, it's funny you say that because some people actually are saying that like Fuente is, is definitely getting an extension after that. And I just, I'm not sure I get it. Are they kidding or I, I don't think so. I think some people believe there is a conspiracy that Justin Fuente is every win basically guarantees that Fuente is going to come back next year. And I think folks just need to wait it out and see how things go. But I, I still think that this is leaning towards a, a divorce between the two. Um, but yeah, man, some people on Twitter, it's getting wild on their dog. <laughs> Jeez. But so, Mike, do you agree with that sentiment from Ricky, though, that the jury still might be out on this one? I mean, you have two more games. You can get to seven wins on the year. And, you know, we talked about going into the season that 
seven wins, he's not necessarily out. It's probably going to be a conversation about how you got there. I mean, this would entail winning four of your last five games down the stretch to get to that point. And I mean, who knows with Miami, obviously UVA looked abysmal without Brendan Armstrong put up just three points. And we know that their defense is really, really poor. So I'm not guaranteeing it. I don't even necessarily think it's going to happen, but frankly, it could. If they win these next two games, is Fuente in the mix to return next year? I wouldn't rule it out, but I think this is probably likely going to be a firing at the end of the year. I mean, you know, yeah, we had the discussion about seven wins and we did also say, you know, if it is seven and he's retained, how did he get there? Well, there are many ways to get to seven wins on this schedule. The way he got there was in the, in, in theory, right. Assuming they win the last, last two games is uh, wild, <laughs> like losing at the end of the game to Syracuse, losing at the end of the game to Notre Dame, losing at the end of the game to West Virginia, blowout against Pitt, uninspired effort against BC, but beating a Miami, beating a UVA, blowing the doors off Duke, beating Carolina in the opener. I mean, I think even if he got to seven, the seven that he won weren't like, who did he beat that was any good? Yeah, the... The Carolina game is really starting to come back and bite him in the rear because that that was so I mean what we all said on the podcast afterwards, right? That was that was Justin Fuente's signature win. Right. That was the win that that Justin could stake his program on, right? That's been the thing that's kind of eluded him throughout his tenure in Blacksburg is that he really didn't have that landmark victory where he went up against a far superior opponent and he beat them. It's looking we, more like that 17 West Virginia win at FedEx when West Virginia or the, two, that, or the 2018 up. Florida State game. Or 18 Florida State. Yeah. 18 yeah, Florida State is probably those, better comp. Both of those are, are very good comparisons. Yep. And um I think if he had been able to if Tech had been able to hold on against Notre Dame, which they obviously should have, that would I think that would change a lot. I think that the entire narrative of the season changes. Especially if, with how if, NDs if, looked. Yeah, right. Notre Dame has looked pretty good, even though they still don't know who the hell is going to play quarterback. Uh, if, if if they were able to hold on to that game, which, again, they absolutely should have, the entire narrative of the season changes. But all of the missed opportunities throughout the season, I think, are just too hard to overlook. And considering that this was probably the best chance that every other school in the conference is going to have at winning a conference title, for the next five plus years, because I highly doubt that Clemson's going to be this bad next year. Um, to miss that opportunity is just—it's it, going to hound the, the program for the rest of for the rest of the next ten plus years. Because you don't know when when you're going to have a really good chance to win the conference again. I mean as good as wake forest has been and props to them for, you know, coming out and and pulling one out against NC state wake is beatable. Wake is beatable by a lot of different teams. Their defense sucks too. Yeah. So if, if tech had been able to get their stuff together and, and make a, a coastal championship, they could have beaten wake regardless of their offensive struggles, because we know how vulnerable wake is 
on both sides of the football because it seems like against NC State they were turning over left and right. So it, I think, I think the missed opportunities of this year is going to haunt him. And um, if he, if Virginia Tech loses one of two, which I think they're probably going to go one and one over the next stretch, I don't know which game they're going to win. I don't know which one they're going to lose. Um, I don't think that's going to be enough. And if if that loss is at UVA, I think that's basically a done deal. Um, I don't think you can come back from another six and six season and losing to UVA again. I don't know um, how you can sell that. Like how, I, how can you sell that? I don't think you that? can because the the obvious trajectory of the two programs is vastly different, right? Virginia right. is on the come up, even though they can't recruit where they're damn. You know, Bronco is developing talent. You have to give him credit for that, right? I remember after season one when Virginia Tech absolutely obliterated Virginia inside Lane Stadium. I was sitting here wondering if Bronco wasn't in above his head, right? right. I mean, he yep. he was in a he was in a power five conference away from you know, away from BYU. He's not recruiting Mormons anymore. And all of a sudden Virginia has turned into a pretty competent program and they're punching above their weight class in terms of recruiting and talent level and Virginia tech made their name punching above their weight class. That's what the program has been known for, for 30 years. And the fact that Virginia tech isn't doing that, I, I, I think is a hard sell. So it's going to be a long two weeks. Um, again, I, I don't think that if, if the decision to fire him is made, I don't think that they're going to wait until mid December because they're going to want to get a head start on hiring someone now. But um, the next two weeks are going to be very, very long, and there's going to be a lot of second-guessing. There's going to be a lot of, oh, well, what if this happens? And what if they, they go one and one, but they win this game, and they win by a lot? There's going to be a lot of back and forth. Ultimately, I don't think Justin Fuente's future should be decided on the result of these next two games, and it should be decided on his entire tenure, which we've had almost six years now worth of games and off-seasons to, uh, to judge. So I have a question for you guys regarding, you know, the future of the program. And that's that the recruiting class that Virginia Tech has for 2022 is, you know, strong by Virginia Tech standards. And despite everything that's happened this season, you know, most of these kids have stood pat and remained committed to the program, even with Justin Fuente basically as the power five coach on the hottest of hot seats. How can we explain that right now? Are these kids just waiting it out to see what happens? kids like the assistant coaches have been their primary recruiters. And I think they like Justin Fuente. Um, I think that's how you, how you explain it, you know, Ryan Smith and Adam Lechtenberg and, you know, you know, Daryl tap when, when he was here and, and now it's, you know, JC price and Tierlink, like they like these guys, right? Like the recruits are being drawn to these guys. And that's what it, that's what it comes down to the staff that Fuente has in place now if you put that same staff in place four or five years ago, they would have recruited a lot better over the course of time. You know, he's got guys on his staff now who are able to better relate to kids. Uh, but the issue is that as soon as they fire Justin Fuente, which we, I think all assume they're going to do, we're going to lose some kids out of that recruiting class. It's inevitable. It happens every time there's a coaching change, there's nothing anybody can do about it. And to be honest with you, I can't blame any of the kids in the recruiting class. You know, they were planning to play for a coach and a staff that's not going to be there anymore. So 
some will stay, some will stick it out. I'm sure there'll be a few really good players that remain in the class. There'll be a few really good players that are there now that'll move on somewhere else. But I don't think that if you're with Babcock, you can say, well, he's got a good recruiting class coming in because there's so much evidence on the current roster with guys who are really highly touted, highly recruited. Look at all these starters on offense and defense right now. There are a bunch of four stars playing all over the field. And it's been a player development issue. So recruiting's one piece of it. But then there's the player development piece. And even if you think Justin Fuente and his staff are recruiting at a high level, going six and six, going seven and five, hell, going five and seven. Say Tech doesn't win either one of the next two. Going five and seven. I mean, you, you can't keep a coach just because you like the just because you like the recruiting class. So it's it's a bummer. It's nice that Tech has pulled in these kids, but ultimately it's it's a player development issue too. Okay, so let's take that information right there. And Ricky, you pointed out when they announced the lineup of guys going out for senior day that, you know, the list, the list was littered with big names and given the opportunity that kids have in the transfer portal right now to transfer right away, maybe the pro potential of some of these guys, maybe even some guys just saying, all right, time to hang out the cleats. My football career is done. There's going to be a lot of gaps to fill are we going on the assumption that most of the guys that went out there for senior day aren't coming back? And if so, you know, you combine what looks to be a lot of attrition in a recruiting class with guys phasing themselves out of the program one way or another after the season. And it doesn't look like Virginia tech has a great outlook by any means for 2022 and maybe even slightly beyond. I would be shocked if any of the guys who participated in senior day returned um, this or returned next season. Jermaine Waller's going to the NFL. Uh, Tay Daly has, I think, probably reached his point in terms of college football where he's not, he doesn't have anything to gain by staying. Shamari Connor, um, same boat. Amari Barno, I don't think he's interested in returning. Lasita Smith is absolutely going to be a draft pick. Um, I don't think Brock Hoffman wants to stay for a coaching change. Silas Danzi, I think he's gotten to the point where he's about done with football. James Mitchell, there's one possibility that he may come back considering he missed a good chunk of this year, but I think he's put enough, uh, put enough good stuff on film that he'll be able to at least get drafted. Yeah, I mean, that's just the risk-reward of – do you get taken lower in the draft than you otherwise might have been able to because of the injury you come back and bet on yourself. And again, you risk getting hurt and you know, clowning your NFL prospects altogether. Yeah. And I'm going to say something else too, that, I, that, you know, I'll see what the reaction is, but I don't think Trey Turner is coming back, but I don't think he's going to the NFL either. I think Trey Turner is going to end up playing football for another program. Um, I would almost wholeheartedly agree. I, I don't think that he is ready for the NFL. I think he is looking for an opportunity to uh, get more touches. That's something that he hasn't really gotten in Blacksburg throughout his entire career just because of the, the nature of the offense. Um, I think he's going to look for an opportunity where he can get more, more opportunities to show what he can do. Um, and I think Trey probably sees the writing on the wall that Justin Fuente is not going to be coming back. I, I I don't think Trey has anything against Virginia Tech. I think he's, you know, th- th- there are plenty of things to criticize Trey Turner for, and we've done it on the podcast. But one thing you can't say is that he's ever 
um, had one foot out the door, right? Trey has been true maroon and orange, you know, since he got here. And I think he's reached the point now where he's now fighting for his chance to go play professionally. And he probably would feel a lot more confident picking that place that he's going to do that rather than waiting to see what Whip Babcock does. So um, I don't think any of these guys are coming back, to be quite honest. And if that's the case, it's certainly going to leave a lot of openings, and which means there's going to be a lot of places to play next year. And I think that the new coach will, if there is a new coach, will certainly be active in the transfer portal, bringing guys in. Um, he'll be active on the recruiting trail after early signing day to bring in more guys in the class and to fill those gaps. Um, he'll have plenty of recruiting to do as well in terms of getting, keeping these guys in the boat, which is going to be difficult for some of these folks. I think that your chances of keeping guys like Alex Orgi or Johnny Dixon are frankly quite unlikely given that they're, you know, half a country away in Texas. Uh, the rest of these guys, most of them are from the, the East and the Southeast, and it's a lot easier to keep guys who are a bit closer. So um, the, the recruiting class, while it has been good this year, should not be reason enough to counterbalance six years of results, which if you judge those six years based just on the results – it's not up to Virginia Tech standard. Justin Fuente has not met the standard in Blacksburg. Here's one curious thing to think about. The starting quarterback for Virginia Tech next year, probably someone whose name you don't know yet, you being yep. a listener. Quarterback X is a, quarterback is a phrase on the roster. that uh, Andrew, Alex, and I are very familiar with considering at one point in time we were both Washington Redskins fans and on the uh, Redskins talk pod with um, – JP Phillips. Yep. Yeah, they they use the phrase quarterback X quite frequently <laughs> <laughs> because you never knew who was going to suit up for that team. And it's going to be the same thing for this team. I have no idea who's going to play quarterback. And Andrew, you're absolutely right. I think that uh Virginia Tech starting quarterback next year is not on the roster. Um, and it's probably they're probably playing football somewhere else right now. Even if you even if they were able to keep Alex Orchai, right? You bring him in, you bring in uh you know, you have Taj Bullock already on the roster, but a, a new coach, or even if even in a world where Fuente is the coach, like they're going to look at that and say, we probably need another quarterback out of the portal, right? You would hope if just, you would hope there if is, Justin Fuente no remained the coach. So, so let's, yeah, let, let, let's flush this out, right? So yeah. if, if Fuente stays, there is a 0% chance that he will go into next year with his top three quarterbacks being Knox Kadem, Taj Bullock, Zero. and Alex Orgi. Zero chance. There is no Zero. chance. There will be someone that is brought in. Now, Zero. caveat, I can't guarantee that that guy is going to be any good because we obviously saw what Virginia Tech's version of adding quarterback depth through the portal was last year when they brought in Connor Blumrick, who was a wide receiver. So I don't know what that's going to look like, but there is no chance Justin Fuente looks at that quarterback room and says, you know what? I feel good about this. And there's certainly even the less than 0% chance that a new coach would say the same. I mean, I, the one thing I will say is that the type of quarterback that you can get in the transfer portal is going to much, have a much higher ceiling if the conversation 
that the head coach and whoever else is out there recruiting in the portal is having is we are looking to bring someone in with a, you know, not just a chance to start, but we're looking for a starting quarterback. You will be the starter, right? Yeah. <laughs> different, yeah. different. I mean, there's a difference between you're be, going to compete and you're going to start like difference. Well, well, well I, I don't think there's anyone in the portal that they'll find where they, they should be guaranteed the starting job. They should still have to earn it in, in, in preseason camp, but you would hope that they would bring in someone with the talent level where they would be the presumed starter and, and all they would have to do is confirm that in preseason camp rather than absolutely battle it out 50-50 with someone like Taj Bullock. Now, who knows? Maybe Taj Bullock really develops this offseason and he turns into someone who can be a bona fide starter. That would be great. Pulls a Josh Jackson. But who even knows that Taj Bullock is going to be on the roster next year? It right. all depends on who's coaching this team. And if Virginia Tech does not have Justin Fuente coaching this team, um, then there's going to be a lot of change. And that's why I have a new pinned tweet on my Twitter account, which is the winter is coming meme. And it's related to Virginia Tech football. And winter is coming for, for Virginia Tech football. And it's all going to happen in one off season. So, so get ready. But that's honestly not a bad thing, right? Because I feel like what's been so- No, it's not a bad thing. Yeah, no. it's been unsettling in Virginia Tech football when your program has no clear direction. You've, you've had a coach that's- been on and off the hot seat for the better part of three football seasons and you know that uncertainty the question of is Fuente the guy or not has been looming over this program you know basically since the old dominion loss and at least there will be a clear path forward but you know as Mike mentioned and as you mentioned as well Ricky when coaching changes are made these things happen. Players commit to programs more often than they commit to universities. And, you know, it, it, the team's going to look a whole lot different next year than it did in 2021. But quite frankly, sitting here at five and five, the question you have to ask yourself is, is that really a bad thing? No, absolutely nice to, not. It'll just be nice to have some clarity. Yeah. And, you know, I, I hope that we do get some clarity one way or the other. Um, I don't think retaining Justin Fuente is going to offer much. Uh, but again, the next two weeks are going to be really, really weird because we all know that the next two games, while they matter in a sense, they don't matter in terms of the macro long-term vision of the program. What matters is what Whip Babcock does in about three weeks' time um, when he has to make a decision on whether or not he's going to retain his head coach. And all we know is that the status quo is just not good enough, right? No, it's so just not th good th enough. There has, so. to be, there has to be some serious institutional change within the program in order to meet the standard that is set in Blacksburg because the last three seasons, Virginia Tech has not met that standard they're, and fans are not going to stand for it. They're not running it back. We know that. They're not running it back. So if they do, you'll see an ungodly number of fans just check out. Yep. Indeed. Indeed. All right, gentlemen. Well, I'm actually going to go because I got to go cover the basketball game, but last message here that I have for the, the folks at home, I was very surprised to see the amount of fans and the intensity of those fans at the game against Duke and a tweet I, I saw, I think it was fifth quarter VT. Virginia Tech playing the worst team in the ACC. 
in a down season for the program where many fans are dissatisfied and disaffected still fill their stadium more than a pretty damn good UVA team does in a night game against Notre Dame. And in 2020, Lane Stadium, the tailgate scene, being in Blacksburg, it was the one thing that we missed. And despite the fact that the results on the field were less than satisfactory, the fans showed out all season, and it was a really good time. You know, I had, being the guy that lives in Blacksburg, had over 30 different people stay in my house for a game over the course of this home slate. People coming as far as from Nebraska and Washington State, <laughs> from Florida to Cleveland, Ohio. People made the journey back to the Mecca to see what they missed so much. And that was watching Virginia Tech lose a close one at the end. So <laughs> wanted to say thank you to all the fans who came out and made Blacksburg feel whole again with football season. Truly awesome. You know, obviously conversations are going to be had in two weeks about what the future of this program looks like, but at least we had some fun. We won yes. the tailgate. Yes, absolutely. And like Andrew mentioned, he is going to Castle Coliseum to watch Virginia Tech play Radford. Uh, yes, sir. Which tips New River Valley here, Clash. Which tips off here in about 10 minutes because we're recording on a Monday evening. So, Andrew, thank you for, for hosting the pod for the start and to kind of piggyback off Andrew's point, like Mike, remember at the end of the pod last week, because I actually made a plea for tech fans to show up for this game. Right. And I was like, Hey, look, if you got tickets, you need to bring your ass and give tech fans credit. They, they came, but they left at halftime. Yeah. <laughs> and okay, it was like, really, up. really, really cold. I know that, but that that's not an excuse, right? My like wife you gotta, you God. gotta, you gotta tough it out, dog. Like North was like eighty five percent empty by the end of halftime, and by the fourth quarter, there were like five people there. Yeah, and I made I made it to the fourth quarter, but I didn't know how cold it was actually going to be, so I was only wearing a sweatshirt. <laughs> it was thirty five degrees. Was definitely chilly. The wind the was ripping. It was like mid thirties. It was it was cold as hell. Um, but no, yes, tech fans have definitely did show out. And you know what? That's another quick observation I want to make. And we've talked about this before, but the fact that the ACC has all these other programs that are either ranked or close to being ranked and their stadiums are half full for big games. I'm calling out you wake forest. I'm calling out you pit calling out you UVA. All of y'all need to get your stuff together. Like tech is out here at five and five, three and three in the conference. And they've got um, no chance, basically, at winning the Coastal. And Tech fans showed up and, and, and packed the, – the student section packed north. East was pretty full. West was pretty full. And even though they left early, they showed up for the game, and they didn't leave really until Tech was starting to beat the brakes off of Duke. I don't, Mike, I don't know if you saw the stands for the UVA-Notre Dame game, but there were a lot – a lot of metal fans in that in that arena yeah yeah no no and, doubt and about it's it. like that at a, it's like that across the conference and that's one of the things that bugs me so much about this conference is that you've got programs that actually have decent de decent teams and they just don't get any support virginia tech's a special place so when people ask about what makes virginia tech different this is among many things 
right? This, among many things, is what makes Virginia Tech different. Virginia and this Tech, is why one of the reasons why Tech will never be a basketball school. This is a football school, and yeah. it, it will always be that way. And I get that, you know, a popular thing that was thrown around social media, you know, uh, during the pandemic especially was, you know, during last year, team wasn't doing well. And I agree with you, Rick, about, you know, a portion of the fan base that this isn't even going to happen. So we don't need to worry about it. But if they just like went status quo next year and everybody's back, like a portion of the fan base would check out. I definitely agree with that. But this sentiment that was on social media, and I promise this will tie back into what you were saying, the sentiment on social media that all of a sudden there were just going to be thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of Virginia Tech fans just checking out and not showing up to games, total apathy. It doesn't have, we are not, we are not Wake Forest. We are not Boston College. We're not Duke. We're not Carolina. We're We're not not Pittsburgh. Yep. We are not one of those schools. Everybody always shows up to lane. They always show up. And it's, yeah, it's, it's wild seeing tech be as bad as they are. And they're still drawing about 50 K yep. minimum yeah. to these home games where you, you see programs like wake and NC state. I mean, wake was playing for a de facto Atlantic title on the, this weekend. And the yep. amount of empty seats in the stands for that game was just embarrassing as far as I'm concerned. Yep. And in that sense, like Virginia Tech and Clemson are so far apart from the rest of the conference in terms of how the fans support their football program. It almost makes you wonder if like Tech is just in the wrong conference. I like, put I put Florida State in there <clears throat> as well. They they do a pretty nice that's job. That's fair. And uh, NC State too. They have a, NC State has a really good fan base. But those like those are the four schools where it's like almost like an SEC type atmosphere. SEC Big Ten. Yeah, just different from those four schools in particular are different from the rest of the conference. Um, Louisville fans are decent, but they really only show up when the team's good. But I put them as like the fifth, like the fifth fan base. They have a pretty good fan base. They're very good for basketball, and they they do show up for football. They care about football out there, but. That top, that that big five, right, of, of Clemson, Virginia Tech, Florida State, NC State, and Louisville, like those are the five schools in the conference that really, really care about football and show out. And, of course, those five programs, Tech doesn't play very much. Right. Because <laughs> Tech is stuck playing Miami, who, I mean, remember when Miami was good and what was it, 2017? And, yep. and there was still, they were like half the stadium was full. Yeah, yeah, had A-Rod I mean, there and... It's good right now, and they still can't get more than half the stadium full. Yep. Wait, or um, Duke, obviously, Duke fans just don't care about football. Don't care. Carolina fans, they cared early on, and then they realized that they were frauds, and yep. they all just backed out of the football program and the rest Checked out. for basketball season. Um, it's just it, – it's a – it's a point of annoyance, I guess, with it, with the conference and that tech is stuck with these programs that I'm not saying that tech isn't worse of a football program right now than like a wake or an NC state. Cause they are right. Wake and NC state are better football programs, but in terms of the fan base supporting that and responding to that, it's just not there. No. And that's, that's really aggravating because you, you, you lose the, the atmosphere that you get at some of these other conferences when you know you're playing 19th ranked Wake Forest and 60% of their stadium is 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 empty 
I mean, how many SEC or Big Ten games, you know, do you see on TV where fans just don't care? Period. Just like don't care. I mean, Vanderbilt. That's about it. And, Rutgers. And, and Rutgers Vanderbilt does cares. not belong in the SEC. Like it, it's absolutely insane that Vanderbilt is is a part of the SEC. They have no business being there. They're a Southern school, but they do not have the well outside of baseball. Very good yeah, outside team. of baseball. Uh, but and, I mean, and their basketball program isn't is competent. Fine. I guess they're fine. But yeah. in terms of football, which we all know pays the bills, um, Vanderbilt just doesn't belong, right? <laughs> no, they don't belong. Right, they don't belong. Uh, maybe Clark Lee will get it turned around. I don't know. But oh, let's talk about basketball real quick before we yes. wrap up because Tech played against Navy on Friday you were night. At this game. I was there. Yeah. So that was actually a big reason why I was not in Blacksburg. I was at the, which was in, and, and kind of piggybacking off the last point we made, there were a lot of tech fans in the stands, which was, a, which, I mean, you would kind of expect, but it was nice to see actually happen considering Annapolis is not that far from the DC Metro area. And we all know that the highest concentration of tech alum are in the DC Metro mm-hmm. area. So it was good to see that fans actually made the trip over there to Annapolis. Yeah, it was super cool. Um, and I really like Navy's arena. You know, it's it's smaller, but really nice in there. That's the first time I had been to Alumni Hall there at Navy. It was really cool. Um, experience was awesome. Um, you know, people were really nice and stadium atmosphere was super cool. Navy's fans, you know, the ones that were there brought it. You know, there were a lot of Virginia Tech fans, but decent amount of Navy fans were there, certainly. And student section brought it. And it was a really cool college basketball atmosphere for an early season non-conference game. So that was awesome. Uh, so a few things we mentioned on the last podcast, we were talking, I guess, on, I guess, last Wednesday, we talked about Texas opener against Maine. And a couple of areas that we had touched on were the lack of free throw shooting in the opener and then the lack of competent rebounding. Virginia Tech did both of those pretty well in this game against Navy. They got to the line certainly much more than they did. Kevin Aluma had the quietest 20 points that 10 of 10 I've from ever the free heard throw of, line, but he was 10, 10 of 10 from that's, the free throw. That's, line. I mean, that's almost unheard of at the college level. Yeah. Perfect from the line tech shot 79% from the line as a team, which is very good. Uh, 42% from three 50% from the field. Navy got it to within 10, uh, about four minutes into the second half and tech went on nine, nothing run. And that was it. <laughs> they stretched it back out to 19 and it was never really competitive. Navy was never really threatening. Hunter Couture, career-high 19 points, didn't miss from three, took two more charges, played really good defense. Uh, The one thing I want to mention here before I give you the floor, Rick, is Hunter Couture, he played the most amount of minutes, highest amount of minutes against Maine in the opener. He played, I believe, 31 minutes, I think it was. He played 33 minutes, which was second to only Justin Mutz in this game. So no matter what rotations they float out there, Hunter Couture is going to be out there for all but four or five minutes of the basketball game, which is fine. He's a really important player, but it's clear that Mike Young has his trust in him, no matter who's playing around him, which is something that we've mentioned on here before. Yeah, he is. He is a, a, a vital player in this system in the sense that he's probably tech's best perimeter defender with mm-hmm. would be Sabidi gone. I agree. He's one of Tech's best shooters in terms of just a spot-up shooter. Yep. Um, he's pretty intelligent. He, you know, takes care of the ball. Intuitive. Those, those are really important qualities. And it also helps that, you know, again, like we talked about last week, Tech doesn't have a ton of wing depth. So Hunter Couture is just, in, just incredibly important 
that he a stays healthy and b plays productive basketball um he was certainly productive in this game i mean five threes on seven attempts is pretty damn efficient um still not sure that storm murphy has kind of got his footing yet i mean he shot better in this game but he went one of five from three uh, only one assist to two turnovers he's got to be a bit better than that um but outside of uh david and guess on and naheem aline everyone had a really good shooting night which is important but this was the kind of performance that you needed to see for Virginia Tech, considering that A, Navy is not a very good team, but also Navy just beat Virginia. And regardless of Virginia's issues, which I'm sure there are plenty, um, they're still going to be a good team come, what, January, February? Mm-hmm. Like, you don't have to worry about UVA being bad. So Navy just picked up a really good win over a team that's still trying to figure things out. Tech came into this game and didn't play down to their competition. And they took care of business. And that's what you're looking for in the non-conference part of the schedule is taking care of business. That is that is the biggest focus for the team. And um, they've got to continue to do that. They've got to stay healthy because I don't think this is a, a particularly deep team. Uh, but the guys that they have in the rotation are reliable, um, at least so far. And I the, the, the rotation is good enough to make Virginia Tech competitive on a nightly basis. I don't think there are going to be very night, very many nights where Virginia Tech just doesn't have it. Right. They're going to be fighting for just about every game, uh, win or lose. There aren't many games on the schedule that you can point at. There might not be any games really on the schedule you can point at and say Virginia Tech's going to get blown out of that game. They're going to be a tough out for everybody they play. I tell you what, Duke is going to be a tough matchup. Um, I cannot remember the gentleman's name, but there is a gentleman for Duke that literally literally plays like Ke- like Kevin Durant and Paolo Bancaro. Yep, that one. Um he's nasty. There is, I don't think there's anyone on the roster that can guard him. So that's going to be that's going to be a tough matchup, but again, this goes back to the conversation we had before the season even started. Like Tech doesn't need to beat Duke on a consistent basis. They need to be competitive with Duke and they need to steal a few here and there, but no one's going to complain if Virginia Tech's ceiling is being the fourth or fifth best team in the conference. I don't think anyone's going to complain about that. At least they certainly shouldn't um, given the, the, the name of Virginia Tech basketball and, and how they're fighting a Duke and a Carolina and a Louisville in the same conference. And you have to wonder when Notre Dame's going to wake up because at some point the, the Irish are not going to be what they are. They have a good team. Do they have year. a good team this year? Roster, roster wise, better now. What they'll end up being, who knows? Because they, they I, had some I find it hard to believe that Mike Bray's team is going to be bad again. I mean, right, he's just right. he's too good of a coach, and they've been off now for a couple of years. Um, I can't remember the two guys that were on that team, but I was it Bonzi Colson who, who was like one of the key. Oh, and Jerry and Grant and Pat Connaughton and. They yeah, had a crew. Like, it, it felt like Jackson. once all those guys left, that yeah. was kind of the beginning of the end of that era. And they've been in the dumps a little bit, but you have to believe that Notre Dame's going to figure it out. So to kind of tie it all in, it's okay for Virginia Tech to just be a top five, top six team in the conference every year. That would be absolutely freaking fantastic. Um, and Tech certainly has the potential to be that. Now, yes, they're a flawed team, but um, – 
this team is good enough to to accomplish some fantastic things this season. And th- th- this is an important part of the schedule because I think they still need to work on incorporating Storm Murphy into the offense and finding ways to get him more productive because I don't think he has reached his potential um, in the first two games. But they've got plenty of time to do it uh, before things start to get a bit, a bit hectic. But we talked about a couple of weeks ago, there are some non-conference games here that are going to be interesting to watch. I mean, in nine days, they're playing Memphis. Um, they get um, Xavier or Iowa State the, the night after that. They have Maryland just a few days after that. Um, so actually, the, the, the next three weeks of basketball, they're going to have a few different matchups here that are going to be a bit challenging. Dayton, St. Bonaventure's on the schedule. Yeah, Corn- yeah no, I haven't even team. gotten to that part of the schedule yet. So the, yeah. the non-conference will be a good test. And by the time we get to late December, around Christmas time, we'll know, I think, what kind of team we've got here in Blacksburg. And we'll be able to kind of project how they'll handle the, the rest of the ACC schedule. Yeah, the, the one thing I'll say about the Navy game specifically, Navy will probably be, they were, they were like 15-3 and three last year didn't win the Patriot league. So they didn't make the tournament. They're going to have a chance to win the Patriot league this year, but they're going to have to shoot better than three for 25 from three, because that's what they shot against Virginia tech, a ripe 12%. Navy didn't make anything credit Virginia tech's defense, but there were some open looks and Navy missed too. Uh, so this could end up being a potential like quadrant two when we can get into what all that means later. But essentially what that means is, you know, it's how you rank certain classes of opponents and it's, it's a metric that the NCAA tournament committee uses to not only select teams, but then seed them later. Uh, Navy has the opportunity to be a quadrant two type win if Navy goes out and wins Patriot League. Then I think it'll turn to quadrant one, actually. But anyway, long story short, Navy could end up having a pretty decent team this year. A 20-point win there on the road in Annapolis is good. Virginia Tech is playing Radford right now as we record this podcast here on Monday night. So once you hear this, you'll know the result of that game. I think we're all expecting Virginia Tech to beat Radford, but Radford is probably the most competitive team of the next three games. Virginia Tech plays Radford tonight. They play St. Francis in Pennsylvania, and then they play Merrimack. And Radford has at least made the tournament, and they're competitive in the Big South, and they have a decently coached team. I, both I don't of those think... games are actually at home. They're both in Castle. Right. So <clears throat> you're going to have an opportunity now to – really string some wins together before going up to up to Brooklyn to play Memphis in the NIT tip off. So, uh, I mean, they're two for two. Let's see what they do tonight against Radford. Uh, we'll recap that game when we come back later this week, uh, to talk Miami. Uh, but yeah, we'll see, we'll see where, where Virginia tech's at, but good start to the season. No doubt about it. Good start to the year for sure. Absolutely. Um, rate review, subscribe, uh, go listen to Mike's seven different podcasts. Go listen to Andrew's radio show on daily um, ESPN Blacksburg. Um, go read my stuff at Dallas District. Um, I'm working on a piece about the running backs, uh, so that should be out here in a couple of days. But again, as Mike said, we'll have a, a Miami preview. We'll recap the Radford game. Uh, maybe you know, l- start looking ahead towards Memphis and, and Xavier and Iowa State, even though Tech's got two games in between. Both of those games should be pretty easy dubs for the Hokies, but uh, certainly a busy time of the year. This is always a fun time of the year, right? Because you've got so much going on. And as if there wasn't already enough going on, 
uh, we may have to worry about a coaching change in, in two or three weeks. So um, definitely stick with us recording two episodes every week, but again, rate review, subscribe, go follow all the boys on Twitter, uh, tweet at us, let you know what you think of the episode. Uh, and until next week, well, I should say until a couple of days from now, go Hokies. Mm-hmm.